Hey there. Welcome back to the Thoughts on Selling podcast. I'm your host, Lee Levitt. Through conversations with fellow sales leaders, sales enablement, and operations executives, and experts in sales performance, together we explore how to improve enterprise sales productivity. This is the beginning of the conversation. I invite you to take one or two interesting tidbits from the conversation with our guest, talk them through with your team, and take one specific step to improve your sales productivity. Then let me know how it goes. I want to hear what you learned, the actions you took, and the results you generated. You can find show notes, past podcasts, and a contact form at podcast.thoughtsonselling.com. And here's an opportunity. If you feel that something is getting in your way of being a more successful salesperson or manager, engaging a coach might help you to achieve more of your sales and personal goals. I've coached individual salespeople, sales managers, and company principals over the years, helping them to break through to higher performance and personal satisfaction. I have a couple of individual coaching slots opening up in early 2024. To learn more about how coaching can help you to be even more successful, please visit accelerogroup.com meet to schedule an initial conversation. And be sure to ask about our no-risk guarantee. I look forward to talking to you. And now, on to the conversation. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, it is my absolute delight to have Ulrich Monberg, CEO of Arpedio, on the podcast. Ulrich is calling in from Copenhagen, and I will note that he is my first international guest. Ulrich, welcome to the podcast. Tell us just a little bit about yourself to start things off. Thank you, Lee, and uh, of course, thank you very much for having me. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure to uh, preparing for the as I really uh, looking forward to to talking to you about one of my uh, absolute favorite topics. I'm Amurik. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Apedio. I founded the company back in 2012, uh, mainly because I thought, well, there's a piece missing to all of these CRM systems out there. Uh, we are missing something that are not transactional, something that helps the business professional in enterprise sales. So set out on a, on a journey to improve that. Ulrich, you use the phrase CRM. That takes people's thought processes down a specific path. Yes. We're not talking about CRM today. We are talking about strategic account planning. And the CRM conversation is just a small piece of that, right? Yeah, definitely. So I think over the past 10 years, the sales tech stack has developed immensely. So 10 years ago, it was very much a CRM, a customer relationship management tool uh, discussion that we were had. But if you just look at the way the Salesforce grown from an almost Excel-like CRM system in the cloud to something where any customer-related process is something that you incorporate in the Salesforce.com universe. And that, that's just a fraction of the strategic account needs that you have as a business professional out there in terms of tech. Right. So let's set up the challenge. You and I have both been in this account planning space for a long time. I did it at Oracle for key account teams for national accounts, and our weapon of choice was PowerPoint. And you and I both know that PowerPoint ain't a good platform. By the way, ain't is, a, is an American colloquialism. In talking with your team, I made a point, we jointly shared a point that there's a difference between an account plan and account planning. Yeah. An account plan is a document that gets stuck in a drawer after it's done. Account planning is the process of determining how the team can help a customer achieve better results. Yeah, 
I've moved away from saying account planning because people, big enterprise, are familiarizing the term account planning with an account plan, which is to a large extent for a lot of sales and account managers out there, a debt document. So we tend to talk much more about account-based selling. So what is the process that you go through to enable your account-based selling strategy or your strategic account management teams or what is the underlying set of tools and languages and, and methods and processes and things that you put together to enable your account-based selling teams? And what is the collaboration you create? What is the whole thing around that? So, so my plan and my, my desire in life is to empower these business professionals. How do we give them some technology that actually supports what they want to do with working professionally with account-based selling, working from account planning into something that is actually the planning part of it and working with that. So I usually get back to this anecdote of me walking in trying to show a CEO of a large insurance company the new platform that we have built back in early, early days of Abidio. And he proudly gets up from his desk and say, oh, account plans, I got them over here. He opens a drawer, picks out his key, walks over to a cupboard, locks it up and get this big binder with all the customer account plans. And I was like, okay, great. But what are you using them for? I mean, uh, is it sitting there in your covered for 12 months and then you do a new one and then it's a budget process or I, I want to give something in the hands that they have to reflect upon on a bi-weekly basis with their team and look into if they are stuck in account development processes of sorts. How do we actually engage across something that is enhancing the work that we're doing on the accounts to the benefit of both the client, the client's clients and mm -hmm us as a company. Ulrich, that's a great visual of someone going into the cupboard and pulling out a dusty binder and blowing the, the dust off and, yeah, you know, opening up and going, here's the account plan you're, you're for this important I was like, yeah. oh, wow, we're in a different era here. So Ulrich, I'm going to push back on you. It, we, we're only four minutes in. I'm already going to challenge you. Isn't all enterprise selling account-based selling? It's a, a good question. We are trying to look at it with our clients as to the segmentation job that you need to go through in order to decide what tools and what processes you put in on your customers of different sorts. So instead of thinking of it as a traditional pyramid of your large clients, medium clients and small clients, we kind of tend to put it into a two by two and start thinking about Okay, but what engagements, what business buying processes do we need to have around the different segments in order to serve them in the best possible way? And for some strategic accounts, it's much more about a co-creation of value for the client's clients, sitting all the way out there and, and looking at me as the internal sales guy that helps my client set up my team around how we can support them in being a success to their clients because we, we need to get into the strategic part of it if we want to do strategic account management whereas some of my uh, maybe my large clients are transactional clients that needs an e-portal uh, and an e-commerce setup where they can easily put in new small orders and just be order processing stuff and they are much more happy around a process where we can actually go in and help them 
become more efficient in that process, but that it would completely fail if I set up to actually have the same processes and structure around each of those two different client types. So the whole segmentation exercise is where we start out. Yeah, I like that. Well, Rick, that was maybe just a bit in fun because selling is all about the account. The difference is most of our enterprise selling is done unconsciously. Yeah. That a good key account director or strategic account manager knows what they're doing. They unconsciously go through the movements of being successful. Where it becomes challenging is when a SAM has other people on the team, when there's more than just one. And if you're talking about a 50 million or a hundred million dollar engagement or more, then you've got reps representing different parts of the organization, different products. You have customer success managers, you have sales engineers, the you have people line. with lots and lots and lots of tribal knowledge. The SAM or the CAD or the enterprise rep plays role of choreographer in some ways to yeah. make sure that everyone's working together. They need to be seen as or perceive themselves as orchestrating the process. Because sometimes mm -hmm. somebody needs to play louder, somebody we needs a little bit more uh, violin over here, and sometimes we need to think as a football coach and, and try to figure out what the scheme is that we want to play for the next just four or five months. Or, I mean, orchestrating or coaching and, and working with all those processes is really what's, yeah, what, what I think it's, it's all about. So let's parse out the various components of account-based selling. There's the planning part of understanding who the customer is, doing the research to understand their strategic initiatives, who the stakeholders are, where the gaps are in their capabilities. That's the preparation for selling. Then the selling motions become identifying how the stakeholders relate to one another and where your relationships are strong and what actions are gonna be taken. What are those key components from your perspective? So we are actually working with, with an operational model around account-based selling where we have six components. So we have the process, which is basically the customer lifecycle management. Mm -hmm. So basically it's not the selling process, it's not neither the buying process of the clients, but it's the, the mix in between. How do we orchestrate that process? Also when the client has become a client and it's an account, how do we actually manage the upsell process or the support process or that whole stakeholder grid becomes so important to have the right handover or the right orchestration throughout the whole life cycle. So one is the process. Then there's the value. So uh, what is actually the tailored value experience where we have looked at some of the things you talk about in preparation, right? But we also make sure that they are delivered on an ongoing basis, monitoring it and, and so forth. The orchestration of a cross-functional team. So number three is the whole orchestration. You need to know who knows who. You need mm -hmm. to know who's in favor of your services, who's against, and how do we manage that? We need to figure out how we uh, we do when when some parts of the organization either leaves or how do we actually, both if it's our own team or the client team, how do we then re-engage and make sure that we still orchestra the who knows who part of, of the whole account relationship, right? It's not a single guy's effort to another, to a buyer, like it was once on a time, I'm the key account, single point of contact. It's more, how do I orchestra all the contact points that are mm -hmm. going on to be successful? And then there's data. 
the whole discipline and the way of becoming a learning organization through uh, enriching your sales tech stack, your data points uh, and analyzing them. So both making sure that you create the right data, but also that you analyze them and actually uh, go through that journey of becoming a learning organization by analyzing and, and getting the results and communicating what good looks like. So the whole making sure that you know what good looks like is super important. Also in this AI conversation that I think we should touch upon a little bit later as it's so hyped. Then there's the tech stack. You of course need to make sure that it's easy to use and not too much. So you don't just have registrations for the registration purpose. Me as an account individual working with this client, I need to get something out of using the systems. I need to be clever, more clever. I need to learn new insights by looking at the system in one way or another. But that sometimes requires that I also put in some data, but it has to be not too much and not too little. So it, it, it's a last 22 years uh, on that one. And then there's the leadership. There's always a, a huge cultural change needed when you want to implement new technology in companies, but very much so as, uh, as, as you look at the way that enterprise sales has changed just in the last two years. There was a big uh, McKinsey study out that it's changed more in the last two years than it did in the last decade. Just because there's the whole COVID and the whole way of, uh, of fulfilling the buying needs is just changed so dramatically. So hybrid sales and all those things really require a leadership that are ready to take that responsibility on them to make sure that this change actually is followed through and people are not just stuck in their own old processes, right? Right. Those six elements we have found is, is the most important to have a, an operational model. There's something in there for everyone, Ulrich. So number one, it's improving the value offer for the customer. Yes. And I love your phrase, co-creation. I first heard that from Gerhard Gerschwander from Selling Power over 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. And I love that concept of co-creation. And you can't be in the co-creation mode if you're a vendor, if you're selling speeds and feeds. No, no. You have to be on the same side of the table as the customer. Yeah, you have to be perceived the same side of the table, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then the second piece is data, right? We live in a world of data. We live in a world of too much data sometimes. For my sales operations peeps out there, I ran sales operations years ago. The ability to see the performance of individual teams, how they're doing, the usage of information, how quickly they're moving forward, how well they're populating the influence maps, yep. relationship maps. The difference between a relationship map and the org chart is tremendous. The org chart shows people's titles. The relationship map shows the role that people play in a specific acquisition and how strong your relationship is with them. So it's dramatically different. And a funny story, I refused to put in an org chart in our uh, account-based setting platform for years. Nobody ever sold anything because they looked at an org chart, period. It's so important to monitor and orchestra your stakeholder landscape and your relationship maps and know who knows who and all that kind of stuff. But looking at an org chart never made any sense. But right. all our clients kept coming back. We need an org chart. We need an org chart. We need an org chart. And I was like, okay, we'll build you that org chart, but we will enrich it with the relationship component so that you right. use the org chart to look at the relationships because 
uh, yeah, as you just carved out, the org chart really doesn't, it tells the title and, and then what? It's a static snapshot of something that was generated in HR. Yep, precisely. Oracle facilitating account planning sessions, I always started with a blank whiteboard. Mm -hmm. We're going to start from scratch, even though there may have been an existing relationship map, either in PowerPoint or in an early platform that Oracle used. A couple of times, teams said, no, 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 we already have it. Let's just pull that up. I refused. I would always say, let's start from scratch. And then occasionally we would compare with the existing map and it was always different. One, because things change. And two, because you bring new thinking to the process. You bring new awareness. You bring more information. Yeah. Closest to my heart of my products is basically that you're able to do that exercise. Then you're able to go into another account meeting. Anyone from that account team should be able to go in on another account and use the same language around what does it mean to be in favor or what is a, an approver and what is key attributes that you put on these and what are the best actions that we took on the other account that we should be able to repeat on this account in the same kind of situation. So building that momentum up instead of starting with a whiteboard every time and saying, okay, let's call this guy an amigo or let's call this guy in favor or a friend or whatever. I mean, that that's really so important if you want to build a learning organization. I didn't have that option. When I was doing that at Oracle, you were writing the first lines of code for our PDO. What you just described, Ulrich, is organizational effectiveness. Yes. The ability of the organization to leverage its knowledge and to build the muscle memory so that it gets better each time it does it in that common language so that people from different teams, as they float back and forth, understand what one another is talking about, as opposed to starting from scratch every time. Whether it's a whiteboard or whether it's, I describe this person as an amigo and this person as a friendly. Yeah. In a computer, those are two very different things. When we hear it, we know it's the same thing. But just bringing back to your point of the account exec or the account owner from, from the team here, he goes in with all of his best abilities. He really goes in and wants to do a good job on this account. I, I, I think yeah, most of the people that are in that position in enterprise sales, of course, they go in, but they go in with their skill sets. So mm -hmm. how do we, again, enable that they can learn easily from each other what works and what doesn't work? And just starting to be able to coach new people on what actually works instead of them just going in, again, with their own best skill set that they have inherited from how they worked for the past eight, ten years. That journey there is really what we in Apidio are working with every day, trying to make sure that that can be better and better. And on your uh, co-creation thinking there, I don't think I've been to a single meeting and conference in the Strategic Account Management Association without that being front and center of the discussions. Strategic account management 101, you need to end in a, up in a situation where you can co-create something with your clients. Right. You know, I've lived in the tech world for many years. It's a struggle to stay present to that co-creation context because so much of what we do in sales enablement in the tech world focuses on our tech stack, focuses on the capabilities of our platform. We have a data analytics tool or we have a data warehouse tool or we have a CRM tool we have this, we have that. Isn't it cool? It's 10% better than the last one. It's 50% better than our competitors. And a customer doesn't give a crap. They just don't care. My cousin is a very tech savvy person. 
And at one point he was running a bike shop. I asked him how he runs his inventory. And he says, I walk around and I write down on a three by five card where the piles are low. And I said, you could use a computer to track this. He goes, I don't need one. I think that's also uh, the other side of the coin when you talk about these things, because a lot of the time you need to look at, okay, are we providing anything in a CRM system that I don't already know as an account manager? As the processes just become more and more and more and more complex and involves more and more of our people as well as the client's people on an account, you cannot know everything. So you need somewhere where you have the kind of the common understanding of what's going on on this account. And that is, uh, again, um, something that, that really will enhance and enhances the way that clients work and, and work efficiently. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, will you do me a favor? Will you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people to find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. One of my favorite topics is what's the most important attribute of a great salesperson? Ulrich, do you have a view on that? Yeah, I, I think uh, first and foremost, it's the uh, curiosity and the empathy. So th those two things are uh, what I'm looking for in, in anyone getting involved in, in sales on our side. Of course, you need to be intelligent and good in presentation skills and all that kind of things. But if you have, don't have any curiosity of what is actually going on at the client and then being able to understand what situation the counterparts you're sitting across from the table are, are in, I don't think you can be anything but mediocre. Yeah. Yesterday evening, Andy Springer from the Rain Group asked me, can you teach curiosity? And my perspective is no. You can't teach curiosity. If a salesperson shows up with some level of curiosity, you can enhance it. You can improve it. You can increase it. You can tweak it. You can fine tune it. But if the person isn't interested in learning, you got no place to start from. And if they are interested, there are so many ways of improving in it. As a sales enablement person, I would frequently say, hmm, that's interesting. What does that teach you? What conclusions, what would you do with that information? What else can you learn? What did you find in the previous earnings call report? I'm in 100% agreement with you. This is where AI ain't going to replace salespeople. AI can be only so curious. It's the person who can take the input from the systems, whether it's an AI-based system or whether it's a record-keeping system or relationship map and go, hmm, what can I do with that? Yeah. How do I use that to get somewhere new, to get some new benefits for my clients? It's really, really uh, important that yes, AI will go in and it will change sales forever, but it will just change sales. There's a million things that have changed sales over the past hundred years, right? Mm -hmm. and, and even more for the last thousand years where we were just, you can, uh, you can uh, exchange uh, uh, some fish for some seed or some other stuff, uh, some uh, fur or whatever you need for for this, right? So that whole negotiation process you were doing back in the Stone Age. But AI will enable those that learn from the AI new opportunities. 
And if you're curious on where they are, you're just in a whole lot better position than if you're just in denial, right? Right. Well, Rick, I ask about compelling events when I do account planning sessions or opportunity review sessions. Compelling event has a date and a consequence of action or, in, or inaction. You know, the lease on my car is up. Either I return the car or I'm in trouble. Unlike, is changing the oil a compelling event? Well, yeah, eventually. 200,000 miles later, the car will stop, but I don't have to change the oil this weekend. And so I'm thinking about three compelling events that I found over the course of lots of opportunity review sessions. One was a rep who said, my customer has an MBO that if she implements the system by the end of the third quarter, she gets her MBO. So I'm putting this opportunity at 100%. The second was... The CIO at Dun & Bradstreet had several million dollars worth of options if he successfully implemented the version two of a major platform. And this was publicly available information. There was a lot there. And yeah. the third was Charlie, in charge of manufacturing quality, had an MBO of increasing production quality by two percentage points. He was going to get a payment and he was going to buy a jet ski with that payment. Those are three very different compelling events. I don't think ChatGPT would find those. I don't know the query I would post to get that information back. It takes a curious salesperson to find that. If we had done our work right, we would be able to actually link some of the previous accounts where we have had more success than the other accounts where we did not have as much success into what activities have we done here. How if we actually build up the cases for putting in a new platform or selling up this paint system to another part of the shops or whatever might be in, in that context, right? That's something that you need to kind of orchestra. So you need to know what you've done on the different accounts. And then you can let AI suggest and find the patterns and then you can act upon them, but they will be worthless until you act upon them, right? Right. So one, you need to be curious, you need to have the data, you need to know what good looks like, mm -hmm. and then you need to take action. And for a foreseeable future, it will not be AI robots buying stuff from other AI robots. So we will still have some interaction with some teams that with a human mindset needs to take decisions and, and live with the suggested actions that came out of that uh, AI robot. Ulrich, you just mentioned something that is a huge opportunity. I was going to say frustration, but I'd like to be positive. It's a huge opportunity. You and I have gone to one or two, maybe 10,000 meetings where we talk for 45 minutes, we talk for three hours, the meeting's over, you walk away, you shut off your browser, you say, that was a nice meeting, I'm moving on to my next one. No action identified, no action taken, no change happens. When I was facilitating account planning sessions or opportunity development or opportunity review sessions at Oracle, I created a who, what, when list. Who's going to do what, when? And we kept track. Through the planning process, we would write down the, the action that needed to be taken to further the opportunity, who was going to do it, who owned it, and who owned it and who did it might be two different things, and by when were they going to do it. If I didn't do that, most of the exercise was a waste of time. It would have been forgotten four weeks later it and would have we been... would start over again. Well, in our busy lives, four weeks, I think, is very generous. Yeah. So do you have a process within our PDO of keeping track of those actions that need to be taken? 
absolutely. That was almost a leading question, and thank you very much for that. <laughs> so we uh, hugely believe in the assessment of where you are. You have to reflect upon that, and then you need to plan and execute on that plan. So if, uh, if you ever wonder what the Apedio name is all about, is assess, A, reflect, R, P for planning, and E for execution. And the planning and execution requires the actions with the data on it because it's a wheel. So basically, when you get back to having executed, you need to reassess whether that gave any impact, reflect upon why or why not it made an impact, and then replan and execute. So, so we work from, from that framework and believe that if you are good at A-R-P-E, you can become an Italian Dio, a god. So you can become a sales god, Arpedio. <laughs> yeah, it takes a cabin and, and some uh, experienced sales guys and maybe a good bottle of, of Italian red wine to get to that conclusion. It is the uh, framework and, uh, and we believe that you need to assess. We have plans, platform for that. We need also to be inspired by where you're in red, where you're in green, what action could you take? like in a coaching situation. So we very much try to mimic, if you and I were talking about a, a specific account, I would probably go through and say, I got this under control, I have some red flags here, and I'm not sure about how we can co-create some value, but I'm 100% sure about who was involved, and we got all the stakeholders map out, we have this great session, and you would ask me a couple of questions to qualify all of that. And then based on my answers and my red flags, you'll probably suggest oh, maybe it was a good idea to try this. We tried that on another account. Or maybe it's a good idea to, to do this. And you absolutely must uh, make sure that this and this person is involved. And that inspiration of good suggested actions are in our platform as well. And then you basically just add them to the activity list. You can delegate them, date, date, and follow up on them. Runs automatically. So that's a 100% part of doing a good job. And that's one of the first things that were ever in the platform. Yeah, that's brilliant. One of the other topics that you mentioned was the data, and I want to go back to that. At Oracle, we didn't have a great way of seeing how our teams compared in their performance. At Google, when I facilitated Greenfield penetration sessions, yeah. I was able to look back individually to see how people were, what people were doing, but I wasn't able to compare across teams. And for a learning organization, for an enterprise company that wants to go through continuous improvement, that wants to say, we're 5% better today at doing this function than we were six months ago. The ability to look across teams and see what good looks like using your language, to see what good looks like and to see which teams are best yeah. at doing it and then to identify well what makes them best what learning can we take and then from a sales enablement standpoint how can we help the other teams who also improve i think that ability to look across teams look across regions look across sales enablement facilitators look across regional managers and say here's who's doing the deepest work here's who is following up most effectively here's who's got the richest relationship maps i think that's tremendous we set out, and, and actually from, from that angle, from looking at it at an analytic point of view, but also the point in time prioritization. So doing heat maps in terms of having those parameters in red, green, and yellow, we work with a score from one to five, just to make sure that we get that score and we can also see the trending. 
-hmm. So you can see the trending on an account. Is the score becoming better? Uh, is our relationship score improving? Or is this actually some of the parameters that we are taking into account that actually makes the relationship score go down? And we have had clients in, in, uh, in large accounts, defending accounts, because they realized that they were about to churn because some of these parameters weren't read. So the immediate prioritization is important, but equally as important is becoming a learning organization. And that's what you talk about. So mm -hmm. how do we become a learning organization based on some of the behavioral data inputs that we are taking along, what, what activities has been taken and so forth. And we cannot do that by looking at the transactional data. Right. So we cannot look across the biggest accounts in the different regions, see how they become the biggest accounts in terms of what numbers were stacking up when. We don't know what happened. And you need to track that in order to copy it. You need to track that in order to enable any AI to look at it. Right. Because it can never tell you to focus on the right things if you didn't register what the things that you were doing right or wrong uh, was. So that whole platform, if you will, it needs to be in place. It needs to be in place over a journey of time where you transform the business into becoming a learning organization. And rest assured that if you're not starting to do this and some competitor is starting to do this, even in the smallest fraction looking at how AI can be embedded, they will outperform you over time because AI, the AI engine will learn and learn and learn and you will have people looking at it curiously and say, okay, what did we actually learn? Mm -hmm. And is it still the right thing? Yes, we do more of the right thing and you will become a better organization. Ulrich, two-part question. The Shoot. first part is in running our PDO, what has most surprised you about the business? And then the second part is in engaging with customers, what has most surprised you about how they either conduct their account planning processes or their account-based selling processes and how they have improved their account-based selling processes? What has surprised me the most is that it takes so long time to change. And that being said, I, I started out my career uh, helping some of the largest Danish companies putting IT against their sales processes. So in the first, some of the first versions of SAP, the SAP uh, sales and distribution model, I helped set that up to support processes and get them up and running uh, so that the sales teams were supported by something that was not faxes and, uh, and other stuff, but towards EDI and all that that today with all the technology we as consumers have in our hands we still in many places to go to work and put in our excel and powerpoint account plans and just lean back and do what we used to do whereas when i look at some of the other companies that i associate with in the software as a service business and see how fast they move when they start everything out with a mindset of becoming a learning organization and learn that and giving that on and making sure if they want to scale and they want to scale fast, they need to use that learning and they need to automate it and they need to plow ahead. So that whole set of looking at sales from so different perspectives from enterprise, really just uh, moving very, 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 very conservatively and slow. And then uh, the consumer side of things in that context, why? 
it really surprised me why does that not impact it more and then looking at some of my peer companies in in the software as a service business that just mm -hmm. has an immense hyper growth and, and how they go about that and, and what we can learn about that in enterprise right and then from your customer all your questions there so it does and from the perspective of your customers what has surprised you about the maturation of their account-based selling processes as you engage with them i think there's a huge willingness to be co-creating very little knowledge of how other parts of my company now I'm talking as a customer, how the other parts of my company succeeded with that. So I'm still leaning into, I want to show up every day and be the best for the company, be the best for myself, be the best for my client. But there's very little focus on, okay, what did they actually do in another part of the company that actually made them be successful in this uh, setup? So, so still a very conservative way of... Uh, of this and uh, and very conservative look at using technology. That's also why one of our big points in this is the leadership, because one of the most frequently asked questions in terms of talking to clients and having the IT and sales enablement teams involved is, okay, but where's the download button? How do we get this into a PowerPoint? Uh, you don't. You tell management to look at the dashboard or open the account view or they'll have the information right there in front of them live even if somebody changes it on the spot they will have the right live information in front of them not a one month old downloaded report put into a powerpoint that they can then comment on and put back and then we're two months down the line before the flow actually rolls right or in my case in my previous experience it wasn't powerpoint it was google slides and I won't Same tell any stories out of school, but it was Google Slides. Yeah, but uh, working with some of the largest CRM companies in the world um, until very, very recently, they internally used Google Sheets for Pipeline, which was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> you know, one of the reasons I started this podcast early this year was to hang out with like-minded people, to have an excuse to hang out with like-minded people and take a deep dive into topics that we're both passionate about. And you and I are both passionate about account-based selling. And it's not because it's account-based selling, it's because account-based selling provides the foundation for co-creation. Yes, it does. Absolutely agree. I have salespeople who say, we don't need to do this urgently. It's not like we're curing cancer. And then I point to the key account director sitting next to that salesperson saying, well, she calls on Merck and guess what? They are curing cancer. That's a context shift for a lot of salespeople until they are present to what their customers actually do. And you mentioned this early when they're present to what their customers actually do and, and who their customers are and who their competition is, they can't be really curious. They can't really be in the co-creation mode. No, and they cannot really understand how the product or services that we are delivering can actually help the person in front of you. Then you just become a what salesman on the beach of Ibiza, right? Rocking around with a big jacket on and just, do you want this one or do you want this one? Uh, I can, you can also have this scarf or you can have my glasses. It's 5.99 no matter what you choose. That's a great visual. 
One of my favorite customer personas when I was selling data warehouses and analytics was the plant safety manager. And I would start off with the picture of the whiteboard, like the front door to the plant, the main door with number of days since last incident. Everyone in the plant would be very proud as that number grew. And as soon as an incident happens and something gets reported, that number gets reset to zero. And so I showed that being reset to zero. And so I would put the salespeople into that mode of thinking, what happens when that number goes to zero? It wasn't just they were changing the, the number. It was someone got hurt. Someone went to the hospital. There was fundamental impact. And so if we can help improve plant safety by identifying where slip and fall happens or machines that are more dangerous, if we can help that plant manager improve safety, then we can have a material impact on their business. And so that changes the conversation about analytics from, well, you can do cool numbers with it. You can run cool calculations to there's a human impact. And so again, this is the co-creation of let's help your plant be safer. And, and I have a terrible story from my own life as, a, as an account manager of not knowing what the clients were doing. I was working on a, a big international account and the CIO calls me up totally frustrated and I just took over the responsibility and she was shouting at me like, this program doesn't work, It's everything is completely, uh, nobody can do anything and I was like, okay, we have our service level agreements, we're looking into it, I've already called and set up, so I was doing my best. Right. And she literally just smashed on the phone and called me an idiot. I was like, okay, but we have a contract, I'm living up to this. Yeah. It turns out that this system that was down was for the security systems at the oil rigs in the North Sea, mm. where helicopters were standing outside to take all these oil guys back home to shore for the weekend, and we couldn't open the door. And I did not know what that system was doing. Right. I hadn't been curious enough. If somebody else did a poor job of the SLA stuff, right? It should just be a red light blinking. Right. Uh, regardless. I, uh, I excused myself of being too new in the job, but having been curious enough, I could just have asked her that question on the phone and I could have tried to run down to the server teams and said, alert, alert, we need to fix this now. Learning That's the hard way. We all have those stories and we don't think about them too much. Otherwise, our hair gets progressively more gray, right? So Ulrich, this has been a fascinating conversation. And I think we have a number of interesting takeaways. Number one, you and I are in complete alignment on the concept of co-creation, that to be successful, to be a successful selling organization or a successful selling team, we literally have to put ourselves on the same side of the table as the customer and help them come up with different ways of doing business. And then answer the question, why change, why now? That takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of curiosity to figure that out. It takes a lot of research. It takes some understanding of who the players are. And I'll tell you an interesting story about an opportunity review session I did a few years ago. Halfway through, the team identified a Jane Doe for the relationship map. This was an experienced team. We had worked together many times doing relationship mapping work. And mm -hmm. so this was a common practice for them. It felt to them that there was an influencer missing from our map. So we put Jane Doe on the map. Someone had the task of figuring out who Jane Doe was. Yes. 
and you are able to say, this is a job for Lee, or this is a job for Sonia, or this is a job for Ulrich, saying, yes, go figure it, out. Exactly. And if we had just looked at a, an org chart, we never would have seen mm -mm. that missing person. And by the way, org charts don't have partners on them, right? No. And in many cases, a partner is a key part of the of the relationship map. You know, whether it's IBM Global Services or if it's SADA or if it's Joe's or really good software or, or the lawyers or the trusted advisors that they are using every time they need to buy new whatever. Yeah. Right. So curiosity is a key component. You just mentioned the follow-up. Who owns the follow-up? Ensuring that the work that we put in to figure out what we're gonna do in account-based selling actually involves doing we have to do the work and so keeping track of that is absolutely critical half of our wheel is it's fine to assess and reflect but what is the plan and execute part of it right another key takeaway is the availability of information to guide improvements in the processes as a sales enablement practitioner when i sit down and talk with my sales operations peers status quo is never good enough it's always, what are we going to do to improve? What can we stop doing? I have a friend, Bob Brennan, who I competed with, and then he went on to run Iron Mountain. And he said, this doing more with less is bullshit. I'm telling my team to do less with less. If we have less, we're going to pick the few things that are important, and we're going to focus on those. Segmentation so is key. Yes. And then a final takeaway, AI can be really helpful we need to know how to guide it to help with the wrong inputs we get useless outputs with the right inputs with the right queries we can get great outputs we can get better and better guidance as we ourselves become more knowledgeable about what, what we want to accomplish i think i will i will rephrase the last part of it because i uh, i look at it very much like the hockey stick so again when you talk software as a service companies, you always talk about, hey, we want to be the hockey stick. We want to get that complete lift off. But in an AI sense, I take the lower part of the stick and say, okay, the first thing you need to do is the data. You need to make sure what data, but you also need to focus on quality of the data. So focus on that. Then number two, you need to know what Google looks like. With the data, that's fine. But if you don't yourself or your team can articulate what Google looks like, it doesn't matter with the data. Then you need to start the AI journey by training an AI using clean and good data with a, in the right quality, knowing what Google looks like so you can rule out the wrong answers from an AI that you actually start the training process. Then you can get on the hockey stick effect to your business because that will eventually become more and more clever looking at that you generate more and more data and you get an organization that actually is wrapped in the right data, knowing what Google looks like, and being curious about how do we then utilize that to be even better. Ulrich, I think that's a great point. And I'll just note, we're in the middle of a huge hype cycle right now for AI. The reality is hype cycles are cycles. They are cyclical, right? Yeah. And AI has been around for a little while. I built expert systems in the 80s. And AI is so many things. So. The people who are most threatened by AI are the ones who don't understand how they can use AI as a tool or a series of tools. They just see it as something coming to run them over. And AI is a tool just like a spreadsheet, just like a hammer, just like a fine I mean, race car. 
we're definitely on, on a if you can look at the Gardner hype cycles and all that kind of stuff and there's still a lot long way to really really having a huge effect on these things right so a couple of years back everything should be blockchain we should have everything into a mode where we should all create our own blockchains and and that now you're solving business problems and an underlying thing of that is there's a technology for blockchains that so if it fits into the right bucket and you might build something with the blockchain ai will be the same in a couple of years time we'll solve more business problems and if they are best solved with something and inputs from ai we'll do that we still have a huge business opportunity in the sense that there's a huge fear of missing out i haven't come across a leadership team for the past six months after chat gvt was released that hasn't asked the question, oh, have we started to use AI somewhere in the business? And of course, fear of missing out on this is imminent. Two yeah. final questions, Ulrich. The first question is, is there anything we haven't yet touched on that you'd like to bring up? I think we have been uh, around a lot. I think we could find a lot of more topics in, in this passionate area uh, that we both have on selling and account selling and account planning instead of account plans. I think we should uh, park that for a rain check uh, later down the road, maybe bring in a couple of customers and, and people with, with that, then we can have a different kind of talk on, on whether they have seen any AI improvements lately. Right. Perfect. And the second question is, if a listener is interested in learning more about RPDO, what's the best way for them to learn more? Contact us, contact form on rpdo.com, A-R-P dio.com like being a god alternatively uh, reach out to me on linkedin and of course follow our video on linkedin to see all the latest in this space so we are doing a lot of webinars and linkedin lives and events uh, so we are trying to keep ourselves educated in this space awesome i will put those urls in the show notes and ulrich i want to thank you for the time today it's been a great conversation one of several that we've had so far, and one of many that I hope to continue to have with you and the team in the future. Likewise, Lee, and uh, thank you very much for having me. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to continuing the journey. Sounds good, thank you, Ulrich. And that's a wrap. Another great deep dive into the topic of sales performance improvement. I'd like to end a session with specific actions. So remember, please take one or two interesting tidbits from this conversation, talk them through with your team, and take one specific step to improve your sales productivity and let me know how it goes. We'd love your feedback on the podcast and I'd really appreciate it if you would recommend this podcast to one or two coworkers. You can find show notes, past podcasts, and a contact form at podcast.thoughtsonselling.com. Thanks for listening.